26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Then, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Okay, I've got a little bit of a a, a pop quiz today to see how well you guys are doing. Uh, 
maybe ready for your GCSEs or A-levels or that kind of thing. Uh, and so here, here's the pop quiz, you know, uh, to, to assess whether these things are good or not good. Good or not good. Okay, stars. Good? Good? Okay, and that's good. Planets. Good? Okay, we got good. Uh, the ocean. Good, yeah, 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 good. Earthquakes. Oh, that's a tougher one. Earthquakes. Uh, floods. Floods? Well, you know, earthquakes are absolutely essential. We would have no mountains without earthquakes. And earthquakes cause a rebalancing in the earth that's absolutely essential for life to exist on the face of the earth. Floods actually uh, replenish the land because the most fertile farmlands tend to be in river basins. And so floods are essential for that. How about forest fires? They're actually good, yes. Because forest fires, when, when not man-made forest fires, obviously, but forest fires actually replenish the land. They remove destructive undergrowth. Uh, and uh, and they, they do a lot of good things in the land. Cancer. Not good. That's right. Okay. That was a trick question. Uh, that was a trick question. Cancer actually, by definition, is the perversion of good in the cell. You know, so cancer is never good. There's no, there's no cancer that is good. So, and uh, a very interesting. So how do we determine good and not good, especially when we look at some of these things? Because obviously if you look at, say, earthquakes and some of the recent earthquakes and people have died, or some of the flooding where people have died, uh, or tsunami, the, maybe the 2005 tsunami that was caused by uh, a great earthquake. And, and you think, okay, well, wait, you just said earthquakes are good, but that wasn't really good. You know, that, that didn't necessarily have a good outcome. And do you know that most of the things that we encounter in terms of creation that have not good outcomes, you know, most of that is because of human sinfulness. For example, there would, would not have been many fatalities at all in the tsunami if all of the nations involved had gone to the expense of putting in an early warning system so people could have fled. Uh, many times earthquakes cause a lot of fatalities because people who have built the buildings have skimped on the, the quality of the materials used in the construction. And, and on and on and on, you can look at... Uh, how about another thing? Tobacco. Do you know, actually, tobacco has a lot of good medicinal qualities to it. What about marijuana? Oh, let's see. Well, they're finding medical uses for marijuana, but actually not all uses of tobacco, not all uses of marijuana, could actually come into the quality of good. But what's the difference? The difference is a human sinfulness. When we use tobacco to abuse our bodies and inhale the smoke and things like that, it can lead to cancer, which is a perversion of the good in our bodies. The same thing with mar marijuana. There are some medical uses of marijuana that are legitimate, but if you're using it just as a recreational escape from reality and a, a, a drug form of drunkenness, it's not good. 
And so we, as Christians, you know, we navigate a lot of these things. And our, temp, our, our ten, temptation can be just to be what was called ascetic, where we say that all of creation is bad. You know, and, and we don't need to have, we, we need to uh, eliminate all the desire and all the enjoyment of creation and everything like that. And if we just get rid of all of that, then we'll be a lot happier people. And there are a lot of people that escape to monasteries or, or would punish their bodies and put their bodies through very, very difficult circumstances in order to, to deny the reality of this world, the, the, the creation that God has made, our flesh and our blood and things like that. You had people like St. Augustine uh, who came up with the idea that sex is bad and that it's actually through sex that uh, uh, human sinfulness is transmitted from generation to generation to generation. Now, of course, Augustine came up with this idea after he had gone around and had all the sex with all the women that he wanted to have, uh, and then he came to Christ and then decided, okay, well, that's got to be a bad thing. Uh, And so it's really easy for us to, to take that extreme and say that, well, all of this natural stuff is bad, you know, and money is bad, and computers are bad, and TV is bad, and, and, and uh, it, it, you know, we get the attitude, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't uh, chew, and I don't go with girls that do, you know, because all those things are bad, and I need to stay away from all of that. And so we have that on one side, and then on the other side, we kind of go down, uh, have some Christians that go to the extreme and say, well, I can drink all I want, I can eat all I want, I can sleep around all I want, you know, I'm under grace, and I can do everything that I want to do, and I can just indulge in, in the creation that God has made. And obviously, neither approach is genuinely biblical. But how do we navigate through these questions and these decisions and these conversations that many people will have with us where they'll talk about you know the bad things that seem to happen to good people in this world and many of them do and they'll say you know how how can God let this kind of stuff happen and uh, or they'll wrestle with with you know can we really enjoy things or should we be like the Amish in in eastern Pennsylvania you know the Amish they can't drive cars they don't have electricity they can't have phones in their homes and things like that because all of these things are worldly attachments that can draw them away from genuine worship of God and and following God and in the end they become rather legalistic in all of these things and not only legalistic but rather unpleasant so how do we deal with this and how do we navigate these things well the scriptures we looked at today really give us some good insights now we've been talking about the goodness of the Lord and we said you know that God is good that God does good that God gives good that God superintends good, he plans good, he brings about good, that God prepares us for good, and God gives us his good spirit. Uh, And this is a good God, and, and as Christians we need to learn how to celebrate the goodness of the Lord, because he wants us to do that. And not only in the world to come, but also in this world here. And we begin with the the realization of what God said uh, during, in the creation story. God saw everything that he made and he said, wow, this is very good. It's very good. Now, understand here, 
good and perfect are not the same thing. Now, there are some people, and you'll hear this from time to time, where they'll say, you know, God you know, created the universe to last forever. No, he didn't. We know that from, very, from day one, he created stars. Stars burn, stars burn down, and eventually all the stars will burn out. We know that by basic laws of physics, which God put in place when he created the universe. So he created this universe with a purpose. He didn't create it to be the permanent universe. In fact, the Bible tells us in the end that God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a new universe that's subject to different laws of physics where there won't be any crying, there won't be any tears, there won't be any mourning, there won't be any pain. We'll all have light, we'll all know each other, we'll have unhindered relationships. We won't need Facebook anymore because we'll see each other and Jesus face to face. And we look for that time and we long for that day. But still, God said that this universe he created is very good. So how can we say that it's very good? Well, first of all, it's fit for purpose. That word good means something that's really fit for purpose. It's usable. It it, it is what it was intended to be. And God looked at the universe and said, okay, this is what I need to accomplish my purposes. Now, what were his purposes? He was destined, he wanted to show us his love to the fullest extent so we could have an unhindered relationship with him. And he was going to destroy evil once and for all. So he's going to show his love and he's also going to show his victory over evil and that's why, in in a nutshell, that's why he created the universe. And so he looked at this universe and said, okay, this universe, this creation, this planet that I've done, it is fit for purpose. It's good. It's very good. Especially these people that I've created. Man, they are really good. And then this word good also indicates something that is beautiful or pleasing, or enjoyable. So God looked at this and he said, wow, I love this. Tigers, aren't they cool? You know, bats, wow, those are so cool. Eagles, oh man, that's great. And oh, the best part of it all, people. They're all different. I'm just going to really mix it up a bit. And they're all beautiful and they're all amazing. And, and gosh, these, these people are so amazing. I'm going to breathe my spirit into them and give them life so that they can be like us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and have relationship. And God looked at all of that and said, wow, this is really good. This is really good. And as we travel around the universe, we can see how, uh, travel around the universe, as we travel around the world, we can see how beautiful it is. And even now, I mean, to an extent, we can travel around the universe. You know, scientists have, have, have been able to see further back in time than ever before. And the way they do that, obviously, when, by the time the light reaches us from the furthest stars, you know, it's really a long time in the past. Uh, I don't intend to give you an astronomy lesson, but uh, uh, you know, so so. But we can see parts of the universe as never before. And do you know that God put us in just the right spot in our galaxy, among and in, in just the right kind of galaxy as well, so that we could see the expanse of the heavens. If we were any closer to the center of our galaxy, we wouldn't be able to see quite as much. 
Uh, if we were in a different kind of galaxy, we wouldn't be able to see quite as much. God put us where he put us so that we could discover the beauty of the universe he's created and the goodness of the creation. And then he's given us all these tools so that we can look and we can see these small things. I mean, I remember molecules used to be the smallest thing. Now it's atoms and now it's quarks and protons and neutrons and, and seeing how all of those things work and how funky they are and how crazy they are and how magnificent they are all the way down to the smallest thing and all the way up to the greatest thing. God has shown us an amazing creation put us in an amazing universe in an amazing galaxy and on an amazingly beautiful planet and he said it's good everything that he made is good everything was made by him and for him john tells us and it's good it's good and he put us in here and his intention was for us to enjoy the goodness of this planet as we were fruitful and multiplied, filled the earth and subdued it. You know, the earth had weeds in those days, in the days of the Garden of Eden. You know, it, it had all these kinds of things in it. And God's intention was for us that began, as we began in the Garden of Eden, basically was to expand the reality of the Garden of Eden across the entire face of the earth. That was his intention. That, that's what he wanted us to do. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Essentially extend the borders of the Garden of Eden. And he gave us the fruit of the tree of life in order to sustain us and keep us alive and keep us growing and keep us developing so that we could fill the entire world and that we could all enjoy his presence. But obviously we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned and the power of sin entered the world. And when they sinned, they gave over their authority and their stewardship to Satan by sinning. And so sin and Satan has brought corruption to that which is good, to this good world that God created but sin and Satan have not been able to destroy the goodness of God's creation. The creation still manifests the glory of God. As, as, as David would say, the heavens tell the glory of God. As Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, uh, everybody can look and see just by looking at the universe that there really is a God, so nobody has an excuse. So even though sin and Satan have come in and have corrupted the goodness of this creation, have corrupted the, uh, the goodness of us as human beings, have corrupted God's original intent and purpose for us, at the same time, they have not destroyed it by their sin. And so we can still look around us and see this goodness even alongside the sinfulness that we see and the brokenness and the problems that we see because of sin and because of corruption. And the intention of Jesus then, the second bit in the scripture, is that what Jesus then came to do, he became part of creation in order to redeem not only us, but all of creation. Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, you know, the whole creation waits with eager longing 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creation is waiting for that time to be restored where human beings start fulfilling yet again, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And the whole creation is longing for this. The whole creation has been frustrated by the sinfulness and brokenness that has entered into it. But the the whole creation is longing, is groaning, is saying, come on, Jesus, come on, people of God, rise up into the fullness of your calling and destiny. And so Jesus became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is a declaration in his incarnation that the creation has not been completely corrupted by the sinfulness of human beings, even though we have been completely corrupted by our own sinfulness and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus became flesh, became a real human being, became like us to redeem not only us, but the entirety of creation. And the story of the book of Revelation is a story of Jesus redeeming creation alongside human beings. We see this very powerfully in what Jesus was telling uh, the 12 minus Judas there in Mark chapter 16. He says, go and preach the gospel to all creation. Do you know as Christians we are called to proclaim the gospel to the creation, to the seas and to the trees, to the mountains, to everything around us. We preach the gospel not only to people but also to the creation according to Jesus. Because in his incarnation Jesus became one of us so that as one of us he could lead a sinless life then die on the cross and pay the price for all of our sin, and then through his resurrection, bodily from the dead. You notice that Jesus, when he was raised, he was raised in his body. Not just as a spirit, but he was raised in his body. He's forever united with the creation in his resurrected body. And it reminds us then that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is redeeming everything unto the Father. Everything, including the creation. So the creation is good. It's been corrupted by sin, and it's been corrupted by Satan, but Jesus entered the creation, became incarnate as a human being to redeem us and redeem the creation alongside of us. And so now we have a new orientation toward creation. And that is that we are called to enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy the creation. I think God loves it when we are able to go to the beach and and celebrate the feeling of sand in our toes. I think God loves it when we take up a a pastry or a piece of cheesecake and just savor its sweetness sliding down our tongues. God loves it when we discover coffee and we discover jalapenos and 
God loves it when in the, the context of a man and a woman, husband and wife, we enjoy sexual activity. God loves it when we feel the breeze on our faces. God loves it when we enjoy the creation that He has given us and He calls us to enjoy this creation to the fullest extent. Enjoy this creation to the fullest extent. How do we do this? Well, Paul tells us there. Now, Paul says, notice this, you know, in later times, there's going to come times where people are going to be teaching doctrines of demons. And among those doctrines of demons are that, oh, you know, as Christians, you can't eat meat. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, it's, it's this, don't do 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 this. You know, Paul's saying that that kind of legalistic mentality and attitude, particularly toward God's creation, is not something that's from God. Actually, he says it's demonic. So then how do we enjoy and how do we know what we should enjoy? Now, how do we make those decisions? Well, Paul tells us essentially three things here. He says, first of all, it's thanksgiving. We are to receive the goodness of creation with thanksgiving. If we can thank God unashamedly for something with our consciences alive in Jesus Christ, that's the first test. That's the first test. You know, I find it's very easy for me to thank God for the first piece of uh, cheesecake that I have. It's very difficult for me with integrity to thank God for the seventh piece of cheesecake that I have at that one sitting. You get that? Uh, Again, it's a thanksgiving with a conscience that's alive in Christ. We can sear our consciences But if we're connected with Jesus and we can go with integrity to God and say, God, thank you. Thank you for this meal that you've given me. Thank you for this holiday that you've allowed us to go on to. Thank you for this home that you've given us. Thank you for this new computer. Thank you uh, for the television. Thank you that uh, we can enjoy this as a family. Thank you for these things. Thanksgiving is the first step to true enjoyment of creation. Giving thanks, giving thanks, giving thanks. And then the second thing is prayer. Prayer. And prayer, Paul says, is one of these things that makes this holy. There's something about taking, you know, the the little basic thing that we have whether it's the food that's before us or it's the, the holiday that we're going on or it's the uh, uh, going out shopping together, uh, whatever that is, by saying, God, I want to commit this to you. I surrender this to you and I want to enjoy this in the way that you have designed it to be enjoyed. That there's something that when we go before the Lord with prayer about something, that it makes it holy, it sanctifies it. It, That's the word, it sanctifies whatever it is that we're praying about. That's one of the reasons why we pray for food. That's one of the reasons why we have a blessing. Because Paul says that blessing the food, praying for it, giving thanks for it, actually makes the food that we're about to share holy. So we give thanks, we pray for what we're about to enjoy, and then it's by the word of God. 
And the word of God, first and foremost, is understanding that God has declared, this is very good. The fellowship that we share, the meal that we have, going out for a cup of coffee together, sharing our lives together, going on a road trip together or or a train trip together, uh, enjoying one another's company, all these and many, many other things. By the word of God, they're good. He's declared that they're good. And also the word of God in this context would mean that which is consistent with the Bible. Obviously, if we think we're enjoying something, but we're doing it in a way that's contrary to God's word, it's not made holy and it's not acceptable for us. God has called us to enjoy the goodness of his creation. He's put us here in part to enjoy the goodness of his creation, to experience it to enjoy what God has given us, to enjoy friendship and family, to enjoy fellowship and love, to enjoy food and sport and entertainment. He's given us all these things for us to enjoy. And they're all sanctified through thanksgiving, prayer, and the Word of God. God who said it's very good has in the coming of Jesus redeemed it all so that we can enjoy it all and so that we can use it all to fulfill the command that he's given us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and show it God's goodness. And that's why God has chosen in part the Lord's Supper. You know, it's in this bread and this cup this tangible piece of creation, this tangible product of creation, God has chosen to express his love for us. And as we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we're reminding ourselves that God loves us. We're reminding ourselves that God has put us in a good creation. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus has come and died on the cross and rose bodily from the dead in order to redeem not only us, but the entirety of creation. And we look forward to the day when we are fully revealed as the sons of God, both men and women, sons of God. But until that day comes, we still enjoy what God has given. We celebrate what God has given. And we give thanks for what God has given. Because just as Paul has told us to do with everything, we do with this, that through thanksgiving, prayer, and the word of God, we make this holy. Father God, thank you so much for this bread and this cup. Thank you for giving us these tangible reminders of your love for us, shown through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Father, we pray that you would bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to strengthen our faith 
and to remind us of your magnificent goodness in all our lives and throughout creation. Join our hearts together more closely than ever before as we share together at this table. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And by the word of God on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. 